Hello and welcome to the Be Bold Fitness Podcast, the show where we talk about taboo topics in the health, wellness, and fitness space. No topic is off limits here. I'm your host, Tessa Breeden, certified personal trainer and nutrition specialist with a passion for helping women to get fit, feel good, and live boldly. Welcome, Dr. Tanya Khan. I am so excited that you took the time today to chat with me. Not only are you one of my good friends, but a very accomplished doctor here in Texas. So if you could go ahead and introduce yourself, um, that would be great. Sure. Well, thank you for having me on, Tessa. Um, it's been amazing knowing you and, you know, kind of evolving our friendship, um, you know, uh, getting to kind of see you grow in your business as well. So, um, but I am an oculoplastic surgeon. I'm a board certified ophthalmologist. And uh, basically what that means is that I am a specialist for eyelids. Um, I do um, also have a lot of experience with um, doing facial um, non-invasive, semi-invasive um, uh, treatments, such as um, what we're going to talk about a little bit today with injectables and um, like laser resurfacing, skincare. Um, my specialty kind of encompasses a little bit um, more beyond just the, the surgical stuff. I always find this to be so interesting because you obviously have specialties in multiple areas, which one is... It's an amazing accomplishment, which means you're very smart. So anybody listening that doesn't know, I mean, she's extra smart. When I told my (laughs) sister what type of doctor you were, she's like, oh my gosh, she must be very smart. So that's amazing. But it is always really interesting just to hear about different fields. Obviously, plastic surgery in general, I think people have a preconceived idea of what it is, but you're working in such a specialized field of it. And I always think it's just so intriguing to learn about that and what you do. And I didn't even know that the type of surgeries that you perform were even available or out there. And so I just think it's a very, very cool field. Um, How long have you been in this field? Um, so I have been practicing on my own for the last um, six years now. Um, you know, our we call it the lost decade of you know medical school residency fellowship. So um, you know I've been involved with it for a while, probably you know upwards of ten years. But um, you know, kind of it's it's a whole different world when you're out on your own and um, you know you don't have any more of your mentors right around. Um, you know, you got to text them instead of just going over to them and asking, you know, Hey, what would you do? And so, um, but yeah, so I, I think it's been um, really cool to kind of um, see my skill set um, evolve with time too. You know, we, we come out with a certain way of doing things or evaluating people. Um, and then you kind of learn to incorporate, um, different techniques that you've learned over the years. And, um, you know, one of the cool things about medicine also is there's, so many, um, trends and things to keep up with, especially in aesthetics. And so we're just constantly learning and you're learning to pick and choose from there what you want to be able to offer to your patients as well. Um, I'm a big believer in pretty much trying to like experiment and try everything before I start to offer it to patients. 
So um, while surgically I haven't, you know, had my eyelids done yet, <laughs> um, you know, I have, um, you know, pretty much tried every skincare product <laughs> just about, you know, I've tried filler. Um, I have, I regularly inject myself with Botox. Um, and so I like to um, just stay, you know, stay abreast of everything because it, it helps me um, speak to what, um, you know, what my patients might benefit from. That's very cool. If I, if you ever think at some point that my eyelids need fixing, please know that I would appreciate that advice from you. So just throwing it out there. If in a few years yeah, you're like, it. hey, your eyelids are starting to look droopy, you let me know. I'm telling you right here, right now. Okay. So let's go ahead and just dive right into some of the really juicy things. I am a big fan of cosmetic surgery when it comes to Botox fillers and things like that. Although I guess I can't technically justify it since I'm not giving it to my patients. I've been getting filler since I was probably 19 years old and just started getting a bo getting Botox a few years ago. So when is the right time for people to start getting Botox and filler? Is there a right time? Yeah, this is a great question. So it's the, um, you know, eternal debate of like, well, are you too young? Are you now like too old to have it? You know, I mean, have you let your wrinkles get so bad? And um, this is really very much an individual preference. But I will say as someone who started to dabble with injections, probably in my 20s, as I, you know, it was Part, part of my field work, right? <laughs> to know what the injections feel like, you know, and what to expect. Um, I will say that um, there is a preventative factor um, to getting, um, especially for Botox injections, um, maybe a little bit less for filler. But um, if you think of it, um, and, you know, I'll draw this parallel since you're in this business yeah. um, of um, fitness and nutrition, but it's like having a trainer, you know, who's going to... Um, uh, not let you, <laughs> you know, create really bad wrinkles, right? Like, so if we are chemically treating our faces, sorry about that. Okay. Um, if we are chemically treating our faces um, to not uh, perform these repetitive movements, then we're not going to let those wrinkles get to a point where they're really deep or, um, you know, kind of etched in. So, um, if we keep that maintenance up and I've really, I've seen it, I think now in patients of mine who I've followed for years or, you know, pe people who have told me that they started sometime in their twenties or thirties. And, um, I mean, you know, we're only now coming to Botox having, having been around, let's say for like 30 ish years. Um, so, um, you know, we're, we're seeing the benefits of that. Um, you know, people have a lot better skin quality. Um, the wrinkles again are just not, um, not as deep or um, creased in. So we have more to work with. And then, you know, we can certainly augment with um, any volume loss that's going to happen inevitably to everyone. You know, as we age, we do lose volume in certain areas of our face. Um, and um, providing a little bit of um, help with hyaluronic. So my preference is hyaluronic acid-based fillers, and we can speak to that a little bit more too. There are a couple of other options. Um, but uh, again, it's just giving yourself um, uh, maintenance work instead of waiting and getting to a point where now there's a lot to do and our semi or non-invasive methods might not be enough. So you you brought up that there are different types of fillers. So can you one for 
like people that are not aware, like are Botox and fillers two different products? And then what are the types of products that are encompassed in Botox and the types of products that are encompassed in fillers? Sure. So, um, yeah, so two different types of um, injectables. So I would say like there's the botulinum toxin, So, um, which I know sounds really scary, but that's basically, you know, Botox is a poison, right? <laughs> um, but it's FDA approved. So um, there's three or four different variations of it, but they're all... Um, they're botulinum toxin type A. So just for everyone's education, kind of a nerd moment, but there are seven different strains of the botulinum toxin, um, but it's type A that we use for these cosmetic injections. And what it's doing is essentially a chemical reaction in your face. So um, the um, what's called the neuromuscular junction is where um, the nerves communicate with each other to um, create a muscle movement, which would be to frown or to raise your forehead. Um, and so by... Um, interfering with the transmission of that signal, which is what Botox is doing, um, you're not able to create those movements. Now, that doesn't mean, again, we can titrate that so it can be um, as natural, meaning that, you know, we don't have to go super strong. We can leave you with a little bit of movement um, or, you know, some people want to be frozen and that's totally fine too. And then you won't have very much movement. Know that it will resolve. And, um, by three to four months, you know, you will get back to more of what your normal muscle activity was. Um, and that number averages for, you know, differently a little bit for everyone, but three to four months usually. Um, so that's that. And that's really to help relax the lines that are happen, di happening dynamically with animation of the face. Um, now with filler, filler is more for um, kind of statically how your face looks at rest, let's say. So, you know, if we are looking at um, uh, tear troughs, so that's a big one where um, we have the hollowing under the eyes. And for a lot of young people, that's exactly where we're going to start to lose volume first because the eyelid skin is the thinnest in the body. So any signs of dehydration, not sleeping enough, you know, all things that we're guilty of, um, that's where we're going to see that volume loss. And so, um, you know, we can um, put, add a little bit of volume to create a smooth contour from the lid to the cheek. Or, you know, for um, mid-face, so um, looking at the cheeks, um, a lot of us, as we age, we're going to start to see a flattening of the cheeks, both from the front and kind of the sides of the cheekbones. And um, giving a little bit of support there will help lift, actually, the lower parts of the face, too. So um, there's um, strategic ways to add volume um, you know, and that's basically what we're seeing. So one more thing to keep in mind with the two types of injections. So botulinum toxin injections, you're going to wait about, I would say somewhere between three to seven days to see it activate and really kick in. Um, whereas with filler, we see an immediate improvement because it's basically a gel. So it's hyaluronic acid, which is a natural substance that's found within your body. Um, so it's a sugar, of, of a type. Um, it's going to um, have branching points that pull in fluid and again, give you that kind of plumper um, uh, look. So um, the different types of HA fillers, the hyaluronic acid fillers, um, they're manufactured just ever so slightly different. 
so that some of them will pull in more fluid, which maybe for like the lips or the cheeks, we want that. But under the eyes, we don't, right? We just want to fill that volume, but we don't want it to look puffy. Um, so HA fillers are definitely, in my eyes, a little bit safer. Um, you know, it's something that your body should not recognize as foreign. We know that it will metabolize in its own time and break down. Um, and we have an enzyme to reverse it in case there's any any extra that someone doesn't want or, you know, there's any issues with it, we can, we can adjust it. The other ones on the market um, are like Radius, for instance, or um, Sculptra. And these are a little bit slightly different mechanism. And like technically the enzyme that we use to reverse hyaluronic acid fillers would not work on those. And so just in case there's any complications, um, you know, it puts you just at a slightly higher risk of having those. Awesome. Yeah, that actually is a really great kind of segue into talking about risks that are associated with this. I think that people instantly fear fillers and Botox because they see it done to an extreme and they see people who get their face frozen or that have massive lips. But can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think that people don't understand that filler in its in one serving essentially, so one vial, isn't really a lot. And they think that that's going to give them this massive aesthetic look. So you can, can you talk a little bit about what those risks might be for people? Yeah, absolutely. So what I tell people um, when they come in to get an evaluation from me with injections, everyone will have some degree of swelling and redness might have some bruising. Um, that's pretty much across the board. Anytime I'm putting a needle in someone's face, I know that they're going to have a little bit of a reaction with those three things specifically. Um, they're all temporary, of course, and by hopefully 24 to 36 hours or so should resolve. Um, now, the more serious risks associated with filler, I would say, uh, to start would be um, um, occluding a blood vessel. So um, that's something that every injector is going to be really hyper aware of. And there are certain signs and symptoms for us to, um, for us to notice um, if that's happening. And um, what that can do is if we, if we inadvertently inject filler substance into a blood vessel or just right next to it where it compresses it, it can cut off blood flow to a surrounding region. So for, for instance, under the eye, um, it's possible that um, that uh, bolus of filler, so that little piece of filler can travel into the vessel and actually go towards the back of the eye and can cause um, a, a lack of blood flow to the retina and can cause blindness, basically. So um, what I find is that if we have safe techniques with injecting, um, the way to avoid this is by going slow and steady. So I do really small bolus injections, and that might mean that I, you know, have more needle sticks. Um, now I use a needle over a cannula, um, and that's sort of another like hot topic um, with um, injectors. Cannulas are blunt, whereas a needle is sharp. Um, so theoretically, a cannula would give you um, less chance of piercing a blood vessel. However, your access point for a cannula is further away from the actual injection site. So you're using one remote site, for instance, like on your cheek to access um, the area under your eye. And that uh, 
loss of control makes me a little <laughs> paranoid. So, so I like to use a needle and I get that tactile sensation back. Um, so I know the depth of injection. So I think it's being very comfortable with the anatomy of what you're injecting. Again, going very slow um, with your technique um, and, uh, you know, kind of constantly um, asking the patient to, or, you know, might be a little annoying here and there while we're injecting it, but, you know, just asking, hey, how, you know, how are you feeling, et cetera, you know, because pain will be one of the, even after we apply numbing cream and the filler contains lidocaine or a numbing agent in it, um, it should be a relatively comfortable process. But if there's a very sharp out of proportion pain, then that's something to be very watchful for. And so that's what I look for. I look for things like a blanching of the tissue, meaning that it's um, probably obscured or um, obstructed blood flow in an area. Um, These are things to watch for. Um, But uh, having the right agents in case of an occlusion in your office right nearby, you know, with your assistant, these are all, um, you know, good, like practice standards just to have. Um, but I guess, um, and then with, with the botulinum toxin injections, I think the, um, the biggest complication I would say would be an inadvertent injection or, um, uh, distribution of the toxin into an area that we didn't want it. And so what I think would be a really common one, and I know um, there was actually a a pretty big social media post about this last year, um, where there was um, a girl who got a droopy lid on one side from from a Botox injection, and then the other um, eyelid actually got really raised. So she had these very lopsided eyelids. And um, the question was, well, like, you know, we've all heard of a droopy eyelid happening from Botox, but how did this happen? And it's um, something that we see actually, like even with eyelid surgery, where um, the brain is sending... Um, input to both sides to try to even things out. But when you have um, a paralyzing agent, essentially, in one of the lid muscles, um, the other one is going to get extra input to raise it even higher. Anyway, it's a whole thing. But um, basically, I I think a droopy eyelid would probably be one of the um, more common risk factor, you know, or um, side effects you could get from Botox. It's very, very rare. Um, I would say in experienced hands, it'll still happen on the very rare occasion. But um, I think so long as you're going to someone again, who's high volume, who um, is using um, the right type of Botox for mm-hmm. you, meaning, you know, whether it's Dysport or Xeomin or Juveau or Botox, you know, they're, they all have slightly different properties. Um, you know, I, I, you'll be fine. Yeah. And like worst case, as you mentioned, these things are not permanent. I think people also forget that, that depending on who you are and how your body is, you metabolize things differently. I've had Botox last six months and then I've had Botox that has lasted three to four months. And then in terms of lip filler in particular, I've had some products that have lasted me again, like six months and some products that have lasted me a year plus. And so I think it's important to remember these things aren't permanent and at least filler, if you're not getting, like you mentioned, Sculptra or um, something of that nature, that they are reversible. So We'll talk a little bit about that, but I think that's important to know. Everyone is always like, oh my gosh, you're going to get more filler. I'm like, well, I guess worst case you get it reversed. 
but I've always liked yeah. it. So I've had no problems personally. Okay. So I, I want to talk about who the right person to go to see is because when I moved to Texas, I learned of this like mysterious injector, which I had never heard of where I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you ba- basically anybody in the state of Texas, and I'm sure other places, can be an injector without being a registered nurse or a doctor. So can you talk about like what the difference is in terms of seeing different practitioners and like how do you know who to go to? Yeah, this is a very good topic <laughs> to discuss. So um, in, in my eyes, someone who is well-versed with the anatomy is going to be your absolute best um, person to go to for injections. And that may mean that like, you know, not to toot my own horn here, but <laughs> I know, I know eyelid anatomy really, really well, right? Yeah. Because I do surgery on it. I've done cadaver labs. Like I know that anatomy inside out. So like tear trough filler for me is um, something that I do a lot of. And um, I know the types of results I can deliver. I've kind of fine-tuned my technique and my product selection and patient selection. And, um, you know, I'm able to discern who might not be a good candidate for a filler, who might be better for surgery or vice versa. And um, I don't know that someone who's not gone through the same type of very specialized niche training as me um, would maybe make that distinction, right? But so... Texas is a little bit like the wild, wild west here with, you know, (laughs) kind of how medical regulations go so far as like who's allowed to practice with what type of experience. Um, And I think that those regulations do vary from state to state. I know um, the tri-state area um, is very particular about um, only doctors being able to perform certain types of injections. Um, I know in North Carolina, where I did some of my training, um, that even for some of the devices we use, like all therapy, um, a doctor physically had to be, you know, um, not just present in the room, but actually had to have hands on the device and administering the treatment themselves. Um, now things may change over the years and so forth, but, um, uh, I think, um, you know, everyone sees a bunch of med spas around, right? You drive around and you see like a med spa at every corner, like a Starbucks. Yeah. (laughs) And um, what a world we live in. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So I think one thing to be aware of is the way a med spa works is um, the medical director who is typically a doctor, um, may or may not even be present in the building. I mean, the the harsh reality of this is that it may just be someone who signs off on other people's work. And that scares me a little bit. And so that's why I like to do my own injections. Um, But it's not to say that you're going to get terrible results going to wherever, but just know that you may have a slightly higher risk threshold, right? For um, going to someone who maybe just took like a weekend course or, you know, kind of shadowed under someone and, you know, learned very informally. And I think where it again, just becomes important is in the rare instance of like a complication or, um, like the injection technique, you know, I, I get lots of requests from people who, 
want to come see me because they've gotten injected elsewhere and now you know they're left with results that they don't love um and that may be especially under the eyes it's very important like the depth of injection people get these really puffy like bluish circles and things like that and so um know that it's it's harder to fix things it's not always impossible but it's harder to get things perfect the second time around or the third time around. Um, and so do your research um, really well, because this is not like just going to get, you know, your nails done or your hair done or something like that, you know, and not to minimize those things either. I know that takes a lot of skill and craft, but this is your face, your, you know, your vision, your, you know, yeah. like vital organs and things yeah, the, like that. The eyes scare me. I'm like, I just... I'm like mess up my lips, mess up anything, but like not my vision. It's already bad. I really I very little room for error. Do not need a bolus of some product in the back of my retina. Absolutely not. So so how do you and I guess maybe this is a person more of a personal opinion, but when there are like specials going on, you see a lot of these med spas that are running like really cheap deals. Should that like scare people? Or again, does it kind of have to do with them making their own smart decisions and doing their research on it? I would say, you know, if it's too good to be true, there's some sort of a price tag that comes with it, right? I mean, if you're not paying for that, you know, extra in cash, I feel like you may be compromising something on the back end. Um, being in the business, being solo practice now, you know, I'm aware of what the costs exactly are associated with some of these products we purchase. And um, know that um, when we're offering kind of a, a standard average pricing, um, it's uh, it's taking into account that cost and, and, and our time, obviously, you know, spending with you. So, when people um, have these Groupon specials, I mean, I'm looking at it like I don't know that they even broke even, right? Yeah. I mean, there's, so I'm not sure if they're compromising the quality of the product, which is entirely possible. I know that I've been to um, a, a med spa. I remember I saw a brochure where they said um, that they sold units of filler. Which I've heard really this strange. too. Right. And, and so I actually like kind of looked at the brochure. So what they did is they took like, so a standard syringe of filler is one CC, which by the way, is less than one teaspoon. Cause we talked to, you know, you yeah. broke it up a little bit. It's like not very much, much volume. Everyone can use. I saw a girl do like an Instagram post and put it in a teaspoon. And I was like, Oh, I've never seen the visual like that. And it yeah. made a massive difference to see her put an entire syringe into a teaspoon. I was like, that's it. I was like, give me more. <laughs> exactly. Right. So when you see how little it is, everyone, you know, can use a little bit. Um, but so what some people will do, I think, is they probably split a one cc um a syringe of filler into little tenth of a CC, um, I guess, and, you know, put it into other syringes. So that scares me because yes, you can distribute and allot the filler, but I would hope then that you're using all of that within the same day because the, you know, one of the great things about, um, with, with filler is you can, it comes in a 
prepackaged, you know, sterile syringe, right? So um, the way we do it is, well, okay, you have now bought that syringe. We will figure out ways to use it. You know, you have a primary, secondary focus of where you want the filler to go. Um, but we don't want to, um, you know, make it unsterile. We don't want it to be laying around, you know, and then the, you know, the product quality or consistency changes. Um, there's a lot of things that go with it. So these are things that, again, I think the general public may not know. And, um, you know, it's a little concerning when you see kind of behind the scenes what people are doing, um, or they may be over diluting the Botox. So mm. Botox comes in a powder form. So we reconstitute it, meaning we add saline to it to activate the product. So um, it the, the clock starts once we activate it. Um, and you have to refrigerate it. And, you know, there's certain um, conditions to make sure that it's still a viable product. Um, you can't have it, you know, um, past a certain point, let's say a couple of weeks or so, you know, and everyone's a little different on it, but two to four weeks, I would say is probably the time point where you may not want to, to use it anymore. And you may have to throw it out if you don't, mm. you know, if you haven't okay. used the whole um, vial in, in that time frame. Um, but for instance, I think there's a, um, there's a standard dilution or reconstitution that the manufacturers tell us how to, you know, be able to, um, have all the units accounted for. Um, but if you have someone doubling that volume to try to get a couple more patients out of it, you know, you, I, I've had friends of mine tell me like, Oh, my Botox were off in like 30 days. <laughs> I was like, well, they probably, oh. you know, got like a few patients out of that vial. The secrets it of the beauty money. industry. That's right. So, but also, so just, yeah. Can we also note that when you're talking about products, so you briefly mentioned like Dyspor, Xeomin, Botox, those are all brand name products and there's going to be a different price point on them. So like, for example, I have been getting Dyspor for quite a while. One, because I'm cheap and I wanted to not have to pay for the price of Botox. Um, but at the end of the day, it kind of like evens out based on how much I need. But I think that people also are like, oh my gosh, where I go, the units of um, Dyspor are like $3 a unit versus Botox is like $9 a unit. So there is a price discrepancy there, but there it's also a different product. It's like buying like name brand versus whatever store brand. Like Target go and gather or something. I literally was like, Charmin <laughs> or generic. <laughs> That's what I came to my, my mind because I just watched Legally Blonde. But I think that's also important that it's not just that somebody's trying to offer you a quote unquote bad product or a deal, but there are other products out there. 100%. And I'll, and I'll give you a little tip on the Dysport pricing. So Dysport um, is, so 300 units of Dysport is equivalent to 100 units of Botox or Juvo or Xeomin. So those three, the Botox, Juvo, and Xeomin, they are all um, kind of made this, more or less the same way so that um, you'll get a vial of 100 units. But because Dyspor is kind of measured differently, that's why what, what you'll what you will be presented with as the customer is that it looks like it's a third of the pricing. You have to really, get three times the amount. 
That is correct. Yeah. Yes. So like, we'll be like, oh, you need 75 units of, oh, of disc work. Okay, fine. Yeah. And <laughs> I know, think people like, don't realize that. I learned this like in the med mm-hmm. spa when I worked there and I was like, oh. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it also, it comes down to what metabolizes for some people. Some people mm-hmm. metabolize disc work differently than they do Botox. Same thing. I know we've talked about, I got Juvederm in my lips for years. And then when I switched over to Restylane, I like really enjoyed the way Restylane looks. I think it looked a lot more natural and I still have like, I don't know, weird side effects from the Juvederm from years and years and years ago. It's definitely, it's a game of product selection and uh, just experimenting to see a little bit, you know, what, um, what works best for you. And I will like Discord, I think works um, very well on thicker muscles, for instance, like, or like, I mean, you probably metabolize very quickly because you're very, very active and, um, dysport. So generally like, um, in very, very strong foreheads, that's what I'll use. Or people Mm -hmm. who want a little extra, like migraine relief, dysport works excellent across the forehead, but then maybe they want a little more precision around here, still be able to smile, et cetera, you know, um, smile and not feel like it's painful. So, um, you know, we'll use something like Botox or Juvo there. So, um, there's definitely ways you can kind of mix and match, um, uh, to, to best meet your goals. Cool. Yeah. I know, um, when you injected me, we did Juvo and that lasted for a very long time on me. And I was like, wow, this is great. Um, so awesome. Okay. So when somebody finds an injector, a, a doctor, an RD, whoever they are, an RN, don't go, I would not recommend going to your registered dietitian to get Botox. No, like be bold <laughs> Botox will be happening here. Um, but no, if we, once you find your injector who you are comfortable going to, you've done the research, should you get a consultation before you go to the appointment or is it safe to just kind of go in and let them know what you want? Either is fine, but I think you want a consultation regardless. Now, usually the way I do it is I will do your consultation. I can do your injection the same day, Okay. but I, and, or there are some people who want to just kind of feel, you know, feel it out and see what they might need and then schedule for a different time when, you know, maybe they don't have an event coming out. <laughs> so, gotcha. you know, you want to keep in mind things like, um, you know, if, if someone's got, some sort of vacation or an event, you know, um, I, especially for a first time injector, uh, or first time, um, being injected, I would wait until after that because we just want to give it the little bit of wiggle room of, you might have some swelling, some redness, bruising, you know, if, if things feel, might feel a little bit different. Um, and so, um, you know, just plan accordingly with that. But I, I, I would caution against, you know, okay, well, I need this much Botox, this much whatever, and just walk in and plan to, you know, get injected without having any feedback from your provider. You want to see um, them evaluate your face, you know, from top to bottom and really, you know, like, I mean, utilize their expertise, like let them tell you, you know, hey, this is what I think might help. But then it's a two-way conversation. You know, I want to make sure that maybe what stands out to me is not um, what that patient is really concerned about. So make sure you have that conversation with your injector and um, come to, um, uh, you know, be on the same page. Yeah, that makes total sense. Should should you be like asking specific questions during your consultation? Should you be asking them like what they're going to use, things like that? Like what, what kind of questions would you ask? 
Yeah. I would ask, um, yeah, absolutely. You know, what type of product, um, you know, uh, what kind of a look, you know, make sure you specify, like, do you want, um, do you want people to notice that you had stuff done or do you want it to be kind of, you know, um, very natural, understated, but enough for you to have, you know, felt the difference um, or see the difference? Um, um, I think it's valid to do some of the research beforehand in terms of what that person's background is. Right. Um, and, and also, and then be, um, be very upfront about who's injecting you, you know, cause I have seen settings in which, um, maybe a, a doctor or another provider comes through and gives you a little rundown of what you might need, but then there's actually someone, you know, who's working with them, who's the one who's injecting you. Waiting so in the wings I, with needles to stab. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> correct. Yeah. So it's so important, you know, um, like to me, it just makes sense that the the person who evaluates you should inject you. Um, this is not a factory, you know, y'all are patients, individuals, um, and, you know, everyone deserves to be treated with that level of respect of, um, you know, uh, not not getting outsourced yeah. to someone who, you know what happens yeah. in that situation that you get evaluated by somebody and then somebody really does come out of the the side door with the needles ready to inject you like what's the proper etiquette are you allowed to leave I think so I mean I, I, or I think at least uh, say that you know no I would rather you know this person inject me and I think you'll see some of the um, you know lack or, or maybe presence of, you know, the integrity of that practice, because um, any, I mean, the head honcho of the practice, if it's the doctor or whoever, they should be able to provide every service that they're offering, right? It shouldn't just be um, delegated to people. That's really not appropriate. Awesome. Yeah. I think people are afraid to stand up for what they want. So it's always good to know kind of like what the proper etiquette in those situations are. So um, you had mentioned when we were talking a little bit about products themselves, about like some bruising and swelling. So like what is the downtime somebody can expect? Obviously, when we're looking at health and fitness, can you like work out right after you get Botox filler, stuff like that? Is there something you should avoid, travel, any of that? So um, usually what I counsel my patients is for about 24 hours following the injection to minimize activities um, that overheat. So, um, you know, high intensity exercise, hot showers, hot yoga, if you can avoid it until the next day, um, that would be better in case you were to have a bruise. So our main concern is if you have a bruise, and sometimes we can see a little pinpoint one, you know, develop at the time of, and sometimes people go home and like they get a bigger bruise and it's just very variable. But um, so if you were to have a bruise with heat, a bruise can propagate and expand. So um, to minimize that, we usually tell you 24 hours, you know, just try to kind of stay away from activity like that. Have I violated that? Yes. <laughs> I have worked out like a few hours after I've injected myself and it was totally fine. But just, you know, so your so face you isn't going to like blow up. No, 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 no. Okay. Yeah, exactly. You can put makeup on right away. So, you know, are the needle openings, um, you know, on these injections, it's 30 gauge, which is tiny, tiny. Um, so you can, you can cover up with makeup. Um, you know, that's something you can do right away. Um, uh, thirdly, um, I would say don't like for the first couple hours after a filler injection, 
don't put pressure on that area of the face. Don't fall asleep face first. <laughs> so, okay. um, you know, don't let it move around. Um, and the other things that I, I usually will ask people to, um, uh, have handy is Arnica. Um, I've and, heard of this. Um, yeah, I was going to say, cause I think in, I feel like in the aesthetics and fitness space, I think Arnica is like really pretty valuable thing to have. So, um, it's a homeopathic anti-inflammatory. Mm. So it is, um, naturally derived from the daisy flower. Um, and it has really great anti-inflammatory properties. So basically for bruising, it's um, really very effective. So I'll have people um, pre-treat sometimes like going into an injection or going into a surgery, especially if they know that they might be prone to bruising. Mm. Um, so for a few days before, kind of have them start taking Arnica, take it for maybe a few days afterwards and um, know that there's an oral version of it, which I prefer because it kind of works from the inside out. Um, and there's a topical version. So you can apply the gel, um, you know, to any areas that have bruised and it will speed up the recovery. And it's just good for like little muscle aches and pains. Interesting. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like everyone's always fearful. Like, oh my gosh, now I can't do anything because I got Botox or filler. I try and not work out, but I absolutely work out after I've gotten filler. I usually look like a crazy person, but highly <laughs> recommend a blue-based red lipstick that covers up the bruises. No problem. See? Yeah. All that experience. You can totally go in I can speak to this. <laughs> Um, awesome. Are there any other like side effects after I know I've heard of just like, it's a really rare situation where somebody will have so much swelling after they get their lips done or, uh, when they get Botox, they'll get bruising or something weird will happen. Like that's most likely not going to happen, but like, what are some side effects that could happen that you'd maybe need to like advise your doctor about? Mm -hmm. Well, I think for sure, if you're, um, and actually, uh, there's been a couple of celebrities who've actually kind of brought some awareness to the topic. Um, Lily Galici. Yes. Year, actually, I remember this. Yeah. She had that issue with the, um, under her eye filler and she started to develop, um, kind of this white pale tissue appearance, that pain, um, and it was signs of necrosis. So um, what we were talking about with the occlusion of a blood vessel um, or a compression of it that is um, now can cause, if it's not taken care of, it can cause death to some of the tissue there. So um, that tissue will basically turn black and like go away. Oh, no. So um, yeah, really scary outcome. Um, so she was very aware of, you know, kind of like it just didn't feel right. And so she was in touch with her doctor and um, basically the way to try to treat it immediately is we want to dissolve some of that filler with the um, the enzyme that we have available called hyaluronidase. Um, we want to give it as much oxygen flow um, and just um, there's a couple of other things um, to help restore oxygenation and tissue vitality. So um, I think that that's one of the, like, so if you feel um, you know, like it's, uh, there's a, again, the, the pain level of it is beyond proportion of what it, you know, of what it has felt like mm -hmm. because during the injection and right maybe after the lidocaine wears off is when you should start to feel it, but it's not, um, it's more of a dull pain, but if it's sharp, it's not going away. Um, 
if you're getting, um, now you're going to have some redness, but if it's a real persistent redness and swelling, that's also not going away. Um, you know, these are all things And now, and certainly if you start to like spike a fever or, um, your vision starts to change, um, you know, anything that's really out there. I mean, that's something, um, that you want to make sure that you're in communication with your um, your provider. And I think that's where it's also really important to ask at the time of the consultation, um, you know, in, in the case of an adverse outcome or, you know, something just doesn't feel right, um, you want to be reassured that you have a point person to speak with, ideally the injector, at least the office who can communicate to the injector um, and make sure that you're taken care of. So when in doubt, if something doesn't feel right, call your provider, make sure it's normal and worst case, always go to the emergency room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I'm like, yeah. yeah, I think people always, or at least I'm this way, maybe other people aren't like this, but I always just try and avoid things. I'm like, oh, I'm sure it's fine. Then I'll Google it. You WebMD it. And you're like, what are... <laughs> side effects of getting this procedure done. And then they give you this list and you're like, I'm sure I'm not the 1% or whatever. And I blow it off. And then I'm like, oh, dang it. I messed up. So I think that's important. Like if something feels wrong. Exactly. Just, you know, just go for it. Just ask, you know, there, there's no harm in ever asking, right? There could be harm if you kind of wait on it. So and that's you. That's like mostly for filler, though, too, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, okay, right? Yeah, I I think the main thing with Botox that I've you know, um, a pretty common scenario is especially again for people who just got injected the first time with Botox is that their brows feel heavy, and um, this is a good discussion to have with your injector beforehand too, is a lot of people are very used to using their eyebrows, right? They're, you know, raising their brows, you know, Uh like furrowing them or, you know, raising their forehead. Once we take that ability away, um, the brows don't actually droop. In fact, for most, you know, people, when, when we inject right above the brows and between them, we actually give you a little bit of a brow lift, like a millimeter or two. But because we've um, relaxed the normal activity of it, which for the brows is to go in and down, um, you're going to feel like, oh, I can't, I can't move my brows. And, you know, it's, it's a really offsetting feeling. (laughs) I love it. um, Is something wrong with me? I really like my face being frozen. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's a so know that especially at the very first um, moment that it activates and kicks in, which usually is the first few days, um, it might feel a little stiff. You know, and so I'll usually counsel people, it will continue to soften with a little bit more time. So, just you know, don't freak out, don't panic. (laughs) You know, it's it just means that the product is working. And again, these are things that we can titrate and adjust. So the next time you come in for an injection, maybe we go a little lighter on those areas, leave you with a little bit of the movement back because a lot of people will be quick to say, oh, just freeze me. But then when you do, <laughs> they're like, like oh, okay, wait, not that much. A little bit of that back. Yeah, yeah that's funny. So, so like, but people really should wait that full like five to seven days to make sure the effects have kicked in, right? Because I think a lot of times yes. people will wait three, four days and they're like, mm, my Botox, is it didn't work. It didn't take. And you're like, it takes a few more days. 
for it to happen. And same thing with your lips. The swelling usually lasts for, I mean, at least for me, it lasts like a week. And the bruising, Mm -hmm. I mean, bruises take a little bit longer depending on the person to heal. And so you really have to just wait to let it settle. I feel like you can't tell that I got my lips done three months ago. I'm like, I want more. Yeah, it's so true. And sometimes, especially with Botox, one side of the face might activate before the other side. And that's like a scary moment for patients. I've never experienced that. Yeah. And so that's something, you know, again, just wait it out. It'll get there. You know, it's not uncommon sometimes for one side to just activate earlier than the other. Um, And yes, if swelling is a real thing and depending on which type of filler or where it was placed, um, it might vary. It might only be two days. It might be a full week. And um, so, you know, give it a good week. I think that's a pretty good marker to see where things stand. Cool. So if somebody's given it, they're like full week and... They're like, I don't think I have enough or I don't think that the injector did a good job. And it's not just the product itself. It's the way that they perceive that it was done to them. I mean, I've had injectors do my lips in different ways. Some are like sticking it from above. Some are sticking it from Mm -hmm. the side. And so let's just say it happens. You don't like it. Your Botox, quote unquote, didn't stick. It's not enough for you. Is it taboo to go back and let them know you didn't like it? No, not at all. And in fact, I will encourage my patients, all of my surgical injectable patients, um, to keep me updated, even like, because I don't necessarily always see injectable patients back until their next appointment, Um, whereas surgical patients, I follow through a little bit more closely. But I want people to send me pictures, you know, kind of let me know how it's worked for them, because that's good feedback to me. And by the time you come back around a few months or several months later to get, you know, a touch up or more filler or Botox, um, I didn't get to see kind of, you know, what the results were initially like. So um, I think it's always a really good um, uh, way to practice to keep in touch with your patients or sometimes I'll bother you, you know, I, I've done that with yeah. patients, like, you know, I'll reach out and be like, hey, how does everything look? How does it feel? You know, and um, I think it's just, good that way. And that, you know, because the the worst thing could be that, you know, here you paid for a cosmetic service. It's not exactly what you like, or there's something that maybe we can adjust or tweak. Um, but you didn't know to just reach out and come back into the office for it, you know? So yeah. we don't want you to say unhappy, you know, we want to try to work it out so we can, you know, have it be, you know, a good result for you. Yeah. I think, sometimes we're afraid to say we didn't like something or we didn't Mm -hmm. enjoy the service we received. And I know I've shared this quite a lot that I'm very big into being open about how I feel of the services I've received because I am a service provider and having owned my own businesses, I've had clients say, hey, I didn't like this service or this isn't what I expected. And you're paying a good amount of money, especially when you go get fillers. Fillers are not an inexpensive investment. And if you're getting them every few months, it's a pretty penny. And so I think that it's important to remember that this is your service. It's your face. (laughs) You have to look at it every single day. And if you don't like it, then you have the right to let your provider know and ask for those changes and don't feel embarrassed or that um, it's wrong of you to do. 
So yeah, I think absolutely. That's always that, good to know. that is a relationship that you've cultivated, right? So provider, patient, and it is, you know, as much our responsibility to, you know, give you the best possible, um, you know, results and expectations. Um, and then for you to give us that feedback so that we can, you know, just make it as best possible and experience for both of us. Awesome. I love that. Well, Dr. Tanya Khan, thank you again so much for sitting down and talking about Botox, fillers, the good, the bad, the ugly. Always good to talk about and always really good just to be educated on the subject, especially when we're getting um, things put into our faces. It's really important to be knowledgeable about who's injecting it, what is going in, and what those expectations are. Um, so I really do appreciate you for explaining that and giving us your expertise. So for anybody listening, where can we find you? And if we, if somebody wants to get injected by you, where can they go to to contact you? Yeah, sure. So um, my social media is always, the door is always open to DMs. Um, And um, I think that's also a good place where you can really see a lot of the before and afters. And um, I try to be as, you know, recent and, um, uh, you know, provide as much content um, uh, so people can see kind of the different types of things we can do, whether it's surgically or non-invasively. Um, so that would be one place you can visit my website, which is, um, con eyelid surgery.com. Um, I forgot to mention my Instagram handle is very clever. I think icon and that's K H A N M D. <laughs> so, um, I like but it. Yeah, I think it's clever too. <laughs> so, um, yeah, more than welcome to reach out, you know, um, any different which way by email, website, or um, by DM. Awesome. Well, I will put all of your information in the description of this podcast so people can find you there. And if they want to come to you and have you look at their eyelids or inject them with under eye fillers or some Botox, then they can reach you there. But again, Dr. Tanya Khan, thank you so much. I appreciate you. And that's a wrap. Well, thank you so much for having me, Tessa.